For those of you who do not know, I'm originally from Gadsden, Alabama. That's where I grew up. Went to Stanford in, here in Birmingham, of course. I'm a big Alabama fan. And so I was walking out the door this morning. My brother lives in Tuscaloosa. I stayed with him last night. He said, I hope you do well. And I said, Sam, I can guarantee you this. It may be the best sermon I ever preach. He looked at me and he said, don't you think that's a little audacious? And I said, I'm back in Alabama. <laughs> so, and by the way, if you know anyone in my church, let's, let's not let that make its way back to Mississippi. I tell them all the time that I'm a missionary to the state of Mississippi from Alabama. Harrison, long ways from five years ago, bud. For those of you who don't know, I was starting a church in Madison, Mississippi. It's a northern suburb of Jackson. And my mother had been talking to me on the phone. And, and I love the way my mother calls me and tells me this. The first call was, guess who showed up at, at our church? This is Rainbow Presbyterian in Gadsden. I said, I don't know who, who, who mom? I said, Harrison and his wife. I said, that's great, that's great. So he's moved back to Gadsden. I've lost touch with Harrison for several years. And uh, he had been in a discipleship group that I led in high school. And she said, yeah, they're, they're back in church. And a couple months passed. And mom called again and she said, guess what? I said, fill me in. She said, Harrison and Mary Margaret, they're not just coming. They're there all the time. I said, that's great, that's great. A couple months passed. She said, hey, guess what? I said, what is it? She goes, not only are they coming all the time, they're getting involved in stuff in the church. I said, great, that's, that's good to hear. And I knew from one of the pastors at the church that Harrison was getting involved and, and was finding his niche at Rainbow. And, and one day I got a, a call out of the clear blue from Harrison. And I was in the backyard, had plenty of time on my hands, I listened to him ramble for about an hour and a half on the phone. And finally I said, Harrison, he had not really asked me any questions at this point. He had just rambled. And I said, God's calling you to the ministry. And he literally was shocked. But I knew. Because I had been through the same thing myself. And so it's been a long journey. But God has used... This, I believe, to mold and shape him to be an effective minister of the gospel for many, many, many years. In Jackson, some of you, a lot of you probably saw the movie The Help, I think. A lot of you saw that movie. Very popular. Many of you read the book. There's a drugstore that's it's really a restaurant in Jackson. It's in an area called Fondren. And there's a drugstore called Brent's. And on St. Patrick's Day, my wife and I took our son and daughter to Brent's. It's in the movie The Help. If you remember several of the scenes where they, they look like they're in an old southern pharmacy eating, that's the drugstore in Jackson. And we went and had green milkshakes for St. Patrick's Day. We happened to go next door, and there was an antique shop. And my wife and I like to look at antiques, and we walked around, and we went to the very, very back. And it was the clearance section of the antique store, and there was a picture in the corner, 50% off. It was one of those pictures that looked like somebody would bring the antique roadshow. I picked it up, and I looked at it, 
And it was old. There was a sticker on it, and it said, Unknown Artist. It said, from the 19th century. It didn't look like a particularly great painting, but it looked really old. And I looked at my wife, and I said, you know, there's something in me that wants to buy this. And she said, why, why would you want to buy this painting? It's, it's not even an attractive painting. More importantly, it doesn't match the decor that I've worked hard at in our home. And I said, I said, Vicki, this painting looks like something that if Antiques Roadshow ever came to Jackson, Mississippi, that I could show up with this. And some antique appraiser would just fall out on the floor because this is the missing painting by some mad artist in Europe that lived 200 years ago that no one knew what happened to it and it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And she just shook her head at me and put the painting down and we just walked out of the antique store. Now, I love Antiques Roadshow. It's, it's, it's interesting to me to see the treasures that, that people bring and Every now and then a treasure is really discovered. This summer, the record was set for an item at Antiques Roadshow. Some of you may have seen the episode. When you get home today, you can get on YouTube. You can find it. A man in Tulsa, Oklahoma had a collection of cups that had been carved out of rhinoceros horns. Now, what this man was doing with antique cups made out of rhinoceros horns from China, I don't know. But he had about four or five of them. He brought them to the Antiques Roadshow. He showed them to the appraiser. The appraiser leaned back in his chair. You knew something was up. He leaned back in his chair and he said, Sir, do you, do you know what you have here? And he said, Well, I believe these are cups that have been carved out of rhinoceros horns, and he said, that is correct, but sir, these cups would have been given by the emperor of China to wealthy guests, and he named the emperor, I was not familiar with his name, and they were over 200 years old, and he leaned forward and he said, I believe at auction that this would sell somewhere between a million and a million and a half. And the man leaned back in his chair. He looked like he was about to faint. And he said, I guess I'm not going to have to worry about Social Security for retirement now. And I don't think a more obvious statement has ever been said. And he paused and then he leaned forward and he looked at the appraiser and he said, Are you sure? And he just nodded his head, he said, nodded his head and said, I'm sure. And to date, that is the most expensive or the most worthy object that has been presented to Antique Roadshow. So this morning, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, if you'll open your Bibles, and we are going to find our own treasure, and we're going to find a treasure that you absolutely positively cannot put a price on. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place to worship you. Father, we thank you for Harrison and Mary Margaret. We thank you that from all eternity you planned not only that they would be together, but that they would minister together. That this was the plan that you had for his life. One beggar 
telling other beggars where to find food. Father, we thank you that you have brought them to this church. Father, we pray that their ministry would be one that they would point to Jesus and to nothing else. Father, we pray that you would give them grace during difficult times that ministry always brings. That you would comfort them. That Jesus would be their foundation. That they would rest in Him. That they would walk in Him. Father, as we look at Your Word this morning, we pray that You would open our eyes and open our hearts so that we would see nothing but You. Remove the obstacles. Let Your Spirit work. Strengthen us. Deepen our faith. Help us to understand the mysteries of Your will. Father, for those who are here this morning that are hurting, Father, we pray that your word would be medicine for the soul. Father, that your spirit would be at work in them, drawing them closer to your son so that they would know him in a deeper and fuller fashion and at the foot of the cross, that they would find the strength they need, that they would find the hope that only Jesus can bring that they would find peace. Father, as we look into Your Word, as we wrestle with Your Word, remind us that You are conforming us to the image of Your Son, the Word that has come into flesh. It is not a book. It is not a collection of stories. It is not fables and legends It is you speaking into time and space to your people that you have made a covenant with. Father, help us to know this more than anything. Father, set me aside as you speak this morning. Forgive my sins, for they are great. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, the Apostle Paul is writing. God says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There are two primary audiences this morning for this sermon. The first is Harrison. I gave him probably five different texts this week, frustrating him to no end. I was going to just use a sermon that I had used in the past. I was going to recycle something out of the recycle bin. But, well, the guy, frankly, is special enough that I felt like I needed to come up with something that was geared towards the fact that he is being ordained to gospel ministry. 
But also, I want you to understand as the listening audience this morning that it also applies to you as well because what I am going to challenge Harrison to do and Mary Margaret, I'm also going to challenge you as well. There's nothing that I'm going to say to him that doesn't apply to you also. Now, before we jump into Colossians, there's a couple of things that you need to understand. First of all, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. He's in chains, probably maybe under house arrest. And he is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. This is a church that he has never seen. It is a small, young church, a church plant, made up of people of Jewish background and people of Greek background. And this church has been started by a man named Epaphras. Now, Epaphras came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior when he was in Ephesus under the ministry of Paul. And he went and he started this house church. Now, what has happened is false teachers have come in. Scholars are not 100% sure what they were teaching, but we know basically that what they were saying is that in order to be a true believer, in order to have a real religious experience, you need Jesus plus something. What Paul is writing them to say is, no, you don't need Jesus plus something. You need Jesus plus nothing. He is all you need. He is your all in all. And so Paul is under house arrest. He's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, a people that he has never met, a church that he has never been to. He's also probably writing a letter to a man by the name of Philemon, and that he is going to send both letters out to be read. And so we come to chapter 2, verse 1, and we look at these important verses, and Paul is telling them that he is in agony. The word that many of you probably have in your translation is struggle, but the word in the Greek is actually agony. He is having heartfelt despair because of what the people in Ephesus and in Laodicea are going through. He wants this young church and these young believers not to be tested. He wants them to not have to struggle with false doctrine. He wants them to be, be able to see Jesus and to see Him only. And so he writes this letter. And what I want you to look at is verse 3 of Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, backing up to verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. Notice this, verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Harrison, listen to Jesus. It's the first thing i got to tell you. Listen to Jesus. The one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. My wife and I were in Germany several years ago and... We had been there for several days and we had gotten accustomed to transportation around Germany. I knew 
a few words in German, so we, for the most part, knew where we were going at all times. And if you've ever been to Germany, there are so many signs in English that you really don't even have to know any German to figure out where you're going. And we were in this small village outside of Munich, and we boarded a train in order to get back to Munich, to get to the airport, to fly back to the United States. We were exhausted. We had been to five, seven nations in about an 11-day period, spending most of our time in Germany, but we had hopped all over the map using planes and trains and automobiles, to borrow the phrase from the movie. And We basically had two bags, so we were moving fast and furious. And We get to this train. It's our last train ride. We're exhausted. We sit down. We both somewhat pay attention to what's being said, and off the train goes. And Vicky, my wife, falls asleep, and I'm staring out the window just looking at the scenery. And about 35 minutes later, after listening to the engineer in German mention the different cities, we pull up to this tiny village, and I looked at the sign, and all of a sudden I realized that instead of going to the east towards the airport, we had been going to the west the entire time. And so I woke my wife up and I said, Vicki, I think we weren't paying attention and we've gone in the wrong direction and now we're 35 minutes further away from the airport and we, and honestly, panic set in because we knew how many stops the train would make back to Munich. We were not going to make our flight. So we called Delta and they very quickly resolved the problem for us. For $3,000, we could just catch the next flight the next day. Well, that wasn't going to cut it. So all we could do was sit there and let the train take us back to the airport. Now, we were very fortunate in God's providence. There were a cadre of troops that had returned from Iraq, and they were on our plane. And so they held the plane for these troops who were coming in from Iraq. And so we made our plane because of that situation. But it's so true that if we do not listen to Jesus in this life, we're going in the wrong direction. And guess what? Nobody's going to hold the plane in this life. Nobody. So Harrison, as you step into your ministry, as you... As time goes on, you're going to learn the tricks of the trade. You could could almost learn how to do this with your eyes closed. The challenge for you is going to be as a father and as a husband and as a minister of the Word is to listen to Jesus. Don't listen to yourself. You will be on the wrong train going in the wrong direction. Because in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What Paul is telling us is everything that you need to know in life is found in this very simple and plain carpenter from Nazareth. That he is the sum and substance of all knowledge and perfection and good. And so tap into Him. Rely on Him. Live and breathe 
the words of Jesus as you minister to people in His name. Second thing I would encourage you to do is to walk in Jesus. Not only to listen to Jesus, but to walk in Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Another way to translate that is to live your life in Him. Live your life in Him. I think it's important that you see Christ Jesus is called what? The Lord. Christ Jesus, the Lord. He is the one with power and authority. He is the one who reigns and rules. Just finished reading a book entitled Beast in the Garden. Or Gar- it's either Garden and the Beast or Beast in the Garden. It is about the American ambassador to Germany in the 1930s as Hitler and his evil band of henchmen rose to power. And this ambassador for the United States was one of the first government officials to begin to figure out that this man was evil in the purest sense of the word. And he's trying to send communication back to the State Department to, to, to inform them that this guy is worse than you think. And the tragic part of the story is that no one paid him attention. And it was interesting reading, having been to Germany twice, it was interesting to, to read this book and to hear about how the nation changed, about the reign and rule of Hitler over a group of people, about how he was sovereign and how any attempt to thwart his authority was absolutely stomped out. That at the height of his power, Germany was completely under his might and authority and no one rebelled against him. And frankly, it was, it was scary. It was evil. But here's the great thing about Jesus. He has built an empire of love and peace and joy. And he reigns and he rules. And one day he will come again and he will reign and rule for all eternity and everyone will bend their knee to this marvelous and majestic Savior. And so he is Lord. He is worthy of walking in. He is worthy of following. He is worthy of pattering, 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 excuse me, your life after him. Who is this Lord who reigns and rules? Who is this master who calls us to submit ourselves to him in ministry and in life? As a husband, as a father, as a minister of the gospel, this Jesus, this Lord is a praying redeemer. Think about what Hebrew says. That Jesus is in heaven right now. Not just for Harrison, but for everyone in this room who is a believer. That this Lord who reigns and rules over his creation is right now praying for us. That as we gather in this place for worship, Scripture tells us that he is here, he is with us, 
He is interceding for us and He is praying with and for us. That is somebody that you want to follow. That is somebody that you want to walk after. That is somebody that you want to live your life for. We also know that as we're gathered for worship this morning, Psalm 22 tells us, and we we can only truly understand Psalm 22 because of the cross. It's one of those Old Testament passages that comes to fruition in the empty tomb. That Jesus makes sense of what King David is trying to say in this psalm. And when we look at Psalm 22 and we analyze the passage, we realize that not only is Jesus in heaven interceding for us, praying for us, with us and for us, not only is He here by the power of the Spirit in a way in which we cannot understand, that Jesus is also the Savior who sings over us. He is Lord. He reigns and rules. He is our master. He oversees an empire of love and peace and joy. He is a redeemer who is constantly praying for us. And he is a savior who sings over us. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus sings over me. I can't sing at all. I am horribly, horribly disadvantaged when it comes to music. What these people do amazes me. Now some of you, what I'm doing right now may be the scariest thing you've ever done. Talking in front of people. I could do this all day. You ask me to sing into that microphone right there and I will collapse and faint right there on the floor. You will have to get me out of here in a wheelbarrow. That terrifies me. But I do love to sing to my children when the doors are closed and the windows are shut and I make sure my cell phone is off. I love to sing to my children. I love singing over my daughter. I love standing over my son's crib and singing over him. I love it. It's such an expression of heartfelt love. It's such an expression that that I care for them, that my heart is full of joy for them. That is who Jesus is. He is singing over you, according to Psalm 22. That is how much He loves you. He is rejoicing over you. Harrison, this is someone that is worthy to follow, to walk in His footsteps. Anyone who will sing for you, anyone who will pray for you, anyone who will serve you, anyone who will die for you, this is someone you better follow. And then finally, Harrison, not only do I want to encourage you to listen to Jesus in the course of your ministry, listen to Him as a father, listen to Him as a husband, listen to Him as a man of God, I want you to walk in Jesus and, and, as a minister of the gospel, point to him all the time, every day of every second. People are going to come to you, and when they do, the answer is not found within you. 
is found within Jesus. So when they walk in the door of your office, you task them to turn around and leave and to go straight to the cross. When they call you at 5 o'clock in the morning because something terrible happened the night before, you, you point them to Jesus. When they come knocking on your door at 11 o'clock at night, point them to Jesus. When they meet you for lunch and their life is falling apart, point them to Jesus. When you walk up these steps and you stand here and you preach, point them to Jesus. And everything you do as a minister of the gospel, you need to learn to do this. Hang your head and point that way. That is what this passage is saying to us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, that the knowledge of God's mystery is in Christ. The knowledge of God's mystery is in Christ. In other words, Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment of what the Old Testament was trying to say. And what the Old Testament was trying to say is things are just messed up. Things are not right. We've done the sacrifices, we've worshipped in the temple, we've listened to the king, we've tried to obey the covenant, and we've failed, and we've failed, and we've failed, and there's no hope for us, and nothing is right, and we wish that things were like they were before Adam and Eve plunged all of humanity into sin. The Old Testament, when it comes to a conclusion, is basically saying everything's messed up, Nothing is right. Who is going to deliver us? And Jesus comes along and he rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. We're getting to that point in the year in which we remember this, although we should remember it all year. And Jesus delivers his people. Jesus says, I am the long-awaited Messiah. I am the answer to all of the mysteries that the Old Testament does not understand. Everything begins with me. Everything ends with me. I hold all things together by my word. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. Harrison, point to him. All the time. And in every way. He is the answer to the mysteries of life. I have started watching the TV series Sherlock Holmes that the BBC has done. It is fantastic. It is absolutely wonderful. It is Sherlock Holmes, except he lives in modern-day London. And he busies himself, as most of you know, solving mysteries. These shows are so well-written that until the very end, you have no idea, you have no idea what the answer is. It's almost impossible to figure it out. I've, I go to a lot of movies, I watch a lot of television shows where it kind of comes be obvious about halfway what's going on. With this television show, you just you don't know until the end. You just don't know. And then Sherlock Holmes steps forward and he reveals the great mystery. He explains the confusion. It's elementary, my dear. 
And that's Jesus. It's elementary. That this carpenter from Nazareth, this untrained rabbi, is in the most simplest form the Savior of the world, our Redeemer, the answer, the solution. Harrison, point to him early and often and remind people constantly, let this come forth from your mouth over and over and over. Remind people that God took His most prized possession, that God the Father took His treasure and He allowed His treasure in all this glorious perfection to be crucified in the middle of the town garbage dump. In essence, God took that which was closest to His heart and He allowed it to be thrown away. And here's why. So that from that trash heap of humanity, God could reach down and pull out more treasure, which is us. Never forget that the treasure of the Father died naked in the middle of a garbage dump so that you could become the treasure of the Father. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, our King, the one who is Master, the one who reigns and rules over all of creation, the one who is the answer to the mysteries of this life, we praise you. Father, may it be said of all of us this morning that we walk in Him, that we listen to Jesus, and that in every way we point to Him, that when people see us, they see Your Son. Father, let the words of Christ echo into the very deep recesses of our heart. Father, may the cross be something that we know well. And may we find great joy in a tomb that is absolutely and completely empty. Father, help us to hold on to Jesus and never let us forget that He is holding on to us. It's in His name we pray.